Welcome to The Yoga Room. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Munoz, a yoga therapist and researcher studying and applying the tools of yoga to help transform the lives of people living with arthritis and related conditions. In this podcast, we'll explore the application of yoga to daily life, what the research shows, what real people have experienced, and how to ensure that yoga in its many forms is safe, accessible, practical, and relevant. You'll hear from people living with arthritis, yoga experts, healthcare professionals, and scientists who work in this space. Whether you're a yoga professional, a person living with a chronic condition, or someone who cares for those who do, we hope you'll walk away from each episode with a useful nugget of information or insight. Perhaps even think of this episode as a little bit of self-care. Whether you're listening in the car, the shower, on a walk, or in bed during a flare, we hope our sharing nourishes you in some way. As we begin, take a long, deep breath and consider setting an intention to have an open mind, to be fully present, to discover something new, to trust that you're hearing exactly what will serve you today and beyond. And with that, let's get on with the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Yoga Room, uh, a podcast where we discuss all manner of things related to yoga in all of its forms and how it relates to life with arthritis in all of its forms. I am so thrilled to invite our guest today. Jamie Boder has been on the staff of Yoga for Arthritis and am fortunate to know him pretty well and know uh, a little bit of his, his story and experience, and I think you're going to find it very inspiring. So to introduce him formally, I'll share his bio. Introducing Jamie Boder, a dedicated yoga teacher and personal trainer from the UK. Jamie's own experience with ankylosing spondylitis led him to explore yoga and other healing modalities, seeking a better quality of life. In his mission to help others, he co-founded Yoga for AS, an organization teaching yoga to those living with AS. Having worked with thousands of people with AS, Jamie is passionate about helping individuals with AS and arthritis find relief from pain, stiffness, and fatigue. He's also a certified level three yoga instructor. Welcome, Jamie. It's so nice to have you here in the yoga room. Thanks for having me, Stephanie. And hello to everyone watching or listening. Um, so Jamie, let's get started with just some basics. From having read your bio, not everyone listening to this knows what AS is. Can you, can you just start us off there? Absolutely. I'll try not to confuse people more with the semantics, but well, they're not semantics because there's there's different forms of spondyloarthritis. And I actually was diagnosed with something called non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis. And there's radiographic and non-radiographic. So I'll break them down without going too much into detail. But you've got axial spondyloarthritis, which is really an umbrella term for axial, meaning the spine, and spondy, again, spine, itis, inflammation. So you've got, it's, it's spinal inflammation. And what we have going on is some people with the condition 
will not show inflammation in an x-ray. So you do an x-ray, you can't see any changes. So not so much inflammation, sorry, but you can't see any changes on the spine through an x-ray. And that's why it's actually only in the last two decades, even last five years to be more realistic, where the diagnostic criteria has broadened to actually diagnosing people through the lens of an MRI. And that's where you can see inflammation on an MRI, usually in the sacroiliac joints. And that's where most people will experience the symptoms first, like a referred pain in the hip. And then that may lead to actually inflammation up through the spine. But this condition can also affect other areas of the body. It's promoted as really a spinal condition, but actually from my experience working with so many people with AS or axial spa, I'll use them interchangeably today. Although from a diagnostic perspective, it's not. The symptoms can be in the Achilles. It can be in the wrists. It can be in the knees. It can be in the eyes through something called uveitis or iritis. So there's so much going on aside from just spinal arthritis and that's why similar to rheumatoid arthritis it's not just a case of oh there's inflammation in your knee or your hip right it affects far more than that um so yeah that that's the kind of two differences axial spondyloarthritis and then if you can see changes on changes on an x-ray is ankylosing spondylitis. Great. Thank you for that clarification, Jamie. You know, as you're suggesting, it doesn't just impact the spine. It's in the category of systemic inflammatory arthritis. So there may be certain joints that are affected, but it's the whole body that's affected because throughout the entire system that you're experiencing an inflammatory response, um, even the, the symptoms may feel localized. And for those who aren't familiar with this condition, it does tend to be diagnosed pretty young. I mean, even younger than some other systemic inflammatory arthritis that tend to hit like, you know, maybe in the 40s. When people think about arthritis, they often think about osteoarthritis, which increases in prevalence as we age. And so you're most likely to have an onset of osteoarthritis in the older years. Whereas some of these systemic inflammatory arthritis, it's more common to be diagnosed maybe in middle age or even in early adulthood. But AS is even on the lower side of that. You were not uncommon in being diagnosed with this relatively young. But I think because these conditions are somewhat rare, it often takes a while when a young person starts to have symptoms for the medical providers seeing them to think, oh, this this actually might be a rheumatological condition. So can you talk a little bit about your experience, you know, what symptoms you first noticed and then kind of your journey to a diagnosis, which for some people can be not only months, but even years. Yeah. So growing up, I was like a competitive level skateboarder and still skateboarding now. So we'll get onto that later on. But the kind of way that most skateboarders are is that they're always injured or always dealing with some sort of pain. So 
for me, when I started experiencing pain in what I thought was my hip, I was like, well, it's just an injury. It's got to be. And then because of the nature of inflammatory conditions, it kind of came and went and came and went. And it's like, oh, well, surely if it was something mechanically wrong, it would be always always there so questions started to come up but not enough Jamie how remind us how old were you when this started happening about 13 14 and for years I would see different medical professionals who would say it was growing pains or sciatica or hip bursitis and um it got to the point where I was about 18 and I was seeing a orthopedic consultant and I said I need to see a rheumatologist and he was like no you don't this is hip bursitis and he he was the top guy I was like you need to reflect. Jamie, how did you even know to ask for a rheumatologist at 18 years old? I try to really remember. I was working with, when I was studying, I had a mentor who had quite severe rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and she told me, I think, mm. I think that's what happened. Because okay. it's a blur that period of my life. But yeah, I think it was someone who was wise enough to go, this sounds it sounds a inflammatory nature to it an autoimmune nature to it perhaps. yeah that's you you were fortunate to have that awareness to be able to yeah. advocate for yourself which most people don't and especially at that age yeah and if i hadn't have done that may have been another decade or yeah or... yeah exactly okay when so I... then what happened from there saw a rheumatologist after a conversation and some examinations, I was diagnosed. Um, and I was like, oh, cool, great. I've got an <laughs> problem I'm solved. I'm just gonna go and rehab everything like I, I have done in the past. Um, and then started looking up the condition online. And that's where oh, it yeah. pretty scary and pretty dark. So, so Jamie, when you did start to look that up online, because not everybody knows sort of, you know, what could happen in worst case scenario with the progression of AS, what were you seeing that made you concerned? So there's a process that happens with AS and especially ankylosing spondylitis, which I'm not going to go into too much detail today. You can look up if you are into that kind of deep well, what What's like end stage AS look like? What's the worst it can get? Like, cool. We'll, we'll jump to that. Yeah, the, jump to that. The end stage <laughs> is the spine confused together. Yeah. Uh, and people are left with what you'd call a bamboo spine. And they usually are in a kind of very hyperkyphotic position where they're really rounded and they right. can't move their neck. They can't move any part of their spine very much at all. Um, and because of, we're talking, it's only been in the last 50 years where this wasn't being dealt with in a kind of, kind of medieval way. And to put it, to put it, kind of in perspective years back people used to have radiotherapy for this condition they were put into a cast complete right. cast to fuse completely as quickly as possible so they to fuse it in the best possible posture right fuse there's not going to be any more pain right. and then there were also people would be put into like stretches and and kind of these medieval type stretches it's wild <laughs> And these are true stories because yeah, I've met people who have had AS for 60 years and were diagnosed. Right, because they're still around. They were diagnosed young and that's the treatment that was available. But but of course, it's very different today. And so when you when you were meeting with that rheumatologist early on, what did they tell you about what to expect with 
the disease with modern treatment. It's interesting, really, because I feel like rheumatologists should have some training to deal with the emotional side of saying to someone who. Yeah, (laughs) they do it all day, right? So it's yeah. But I think it was understated and I ended up being left to the devices of the Internet to learn Mm. It was something along the lines of, you know, we could, as long as we monitor this, you know, we're going to get you on these medications. We're right. going to start here. You know, you should be out. You should be should be fine, type thing. And actually, mm-hmm. like, it's almost like, especially with young people, it's so much more beneficial from my perspective to really explain what's going on, explain yeah. what can happen, but also explain the best case. Right. Scenario. So you have a balanced perspective instead of minimizing it but i've also heard horror stories of people who were told about the worst of the disease when they were first diagnosed and they left in a panic and you know thought their life was over so i i think it's also challenging because probably in that first visit it's almost hard to absorb all of it because you're kind of in shock about it so i feel like there should be the initial here's what it is, here's the like basic information that you need to know right away, and then a follow-up with like, now let's really talk about yes. <laughs> life with this condition and how to navigate it. Maybe a few websites for people to say, look at these websites, but don't look at these websites. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Jimmy, that's actually something that I really love to do is meet with someone soon after they've been diagnosed when that conversation with the rheumatologist is all they've had so far and to be able to share some perspective on you know okay all of this is true and here are all of the ways of navigating this that your doctor did not talk to you about and here are some stories some anecdotes of people who are thriving with these conditions and i know not only are you one of them but you have helped other people to become thrivers with these conditions so can we jump to how you found out about yoga yeah so a few years into diagnosis i heard about support groups in the uk which there are some in america as well there's different organizations throughout the world who work with people living with as in america it's called saa and we've worked with them that's spondylo spondylitis association of america in the u.s okay so we'll link to that in the show notes so people can find it okay there's nas as well which is the national association of spondyloarthritis i think okay Um, so these branches basically i I called one up and it was the one closest to me and this this guy picked up and he goes oh sorry we we only have new people join if someone dies or moves away but good luck what (laughs) <laughs> so I was like, not like here's another place you could go or here's <laughs> so then I found out was a little further afield um and I went to that one um so I went to the group and there were a lot of people with the kind of position that I explained earlier very very much oh the the hypotic rounded yeah. posture yeah and then some some guy turned up who and in. Jamie, about how old were the people in the group? A range from 40 to 70, I would say. Okay. So, so no one that you could relate to generationally or 
so anyway, I, I went to went went to this group, and there was a guy there who was different from everyone else because he cycled into the group on a bike. So I was like, okay, that's interesting. He was about seventy, nearly seventy at that point. Yeah. We did some hydrotherapy. He um, was seventy then. Uh, Which... No, he's now he's seventy. He's gonna. He's gonna be upset that we're aging him on the air. <laughs> say, I think he was around sixty-seven. So okay, nearly... all right. And I was going to say he looks really great. <laughs> I mean, does. he does look really great. <laughs> but, yeah. He and he, after the hydrotherapy, which which is great for this condition. Um, and yeah. great for, okay. Explain. Yeah. You'll explain hydrotherapy after. Okay, great. So, well, the hydrotherapy is essentially a warm pool of water, not as hot as a hot tub or a jacuzzi, but warm enough to help to raise the core body temperature up and not to the point that it's like, um, too hot right and basically usually with a physio will be guided through different movements to help to increase strength because you have low impact because you're in the water but also increase flexibility okay. movements so it's great and we can um, and jamie i i we're, i know we're in the middle of a story but i just want to make a plug for aqua yoga will be on the podcast sometime soon uh, does something similar in the water with yoga practice. Um, and, and I do agree it should be done in warm water to have the therapeutic benefit of the water as well as the movement. So, okay. So he cycled into the group and continue. Yeah. And so after the hydrotherapy, everyone was taken through kind of very typical physiotherapy type stretches. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, but this is a support group. So it's a support group and an exercise group. Oh, okay. So, and Jeff was in the corner away from everyone else mm -hmm. doing Uttanasana, doing a forward fold. And I was like, <laughs> he wasn't only touching his toes. He was full on palms. palming the floor. Yeah. It's like, sorry. Like I think <laughs> the condition would literally mean that everyone would end up with complete loss of um, movement. Did you question whether he actually had the condition? Um, I think I did a few, I did, I did in my head. I didn't out loud, but since speaking yeah. to them, I've had many people say, oh, you don't have, you don't have this condition. Yeah. And I, I said to him, what are you doing differently than now? So, so you just walked up to him like outside of the group and queried. Yeah. yeah. Well, kind of just towards like, towards the end of the, of the session, there was still a bit of time and okay. he been practicing yoga for about 30, 40 years at that point. Um, he was diagnosed 10 years before but mm -hmm. had symptoms from about 25. So it took a huge Yeah. yeah. And he yeah. also receives medical care and is treated by a rheumatologist in addition to, yeah. So this is not an alternative. Exactly. And this, this is the key point. Like it wasn't a case that he said, oh, like yoga has healed me. <laughs> he explained that yoga was a, a big part of him maintaining what mm -hmm. he has and also how he's dealt and managed with the condition despite there were times where the condition was very bad um and that was at the point of diagnosis when we yeah. got to get a diagnosis so when i kind of met with him he, we did a like 20 minute session mm -hmm. and the idea of yoga that i had in my head which is back then was just like you know doing you know a full wheel or a uh, some sort of pretzel type thing right and I 
super stiff, not just from AS, but from years of skateboarding as well as just okay. everything was tight. Um, but yeah, at that point I had hardly any movement, but I did the session and at the end of the session, I just, I felt lighter, it's not, not a case mm. of like, oh, I feel amazing, but I just felt lighter. Something switched in my mind, like something clicked in my mind. Where what, was it, was the practice challenging? Was it painful? It, it just felt good. Okay. It, painful it just felt good because the way that this was kind of the early stages of modifying and making accessible okay. so yeah it, it felt good and it was through Jeff's own experience of try this this really helps me and I was like oh that does help I'll try this this really helps and um, right what it, what it did was it, it sudden, suddenly something clicked in my head that I have a choice mm. I was really in a dark place because I was dealing with so much pain and inflammation I could hardly walk um, mm. limping and for yeah. years been in that even with the treatment so you had started the medication but you were still this, yeah. this was still still bad um, yeah it was after that session I said I've got a choice to really go deep on what I can do and I've got so much more agency than I thought I had and one of those things where it's, it's obvious wisdom that we sometimes we know all of these we know these innately but when something kind of wakes us up mm -hmm. so it got me kind of on a path to looking at first it was yoga and as, uh, after that day I went home that evening and this it sounds um on reflection it sounds kind of I don't know how it sounds you can see how it sounds but I, I, I said to myself oh I could become a yoga teacher for people with AS and then that way I could <laughs> I, that way I could move all the time and the AS then I can keep moving all the time and then help people with AS and Jamie you found your dharma in that moment you found your dharma that's what I would say about it <laughs> yeah absolutely so and then after that I, I kind of went away um and practiced every single day for yeah. every day um about 30 minutes and so i i want to share from a research perspective that what you're talking about that that like aha moment that you have that's self-efficacy okay so self-efficacy is our belief in our ability to do something and you can have self-efficacy for a specific thing like self-efficacy for yoga is my belief in my ability to practice yoga but you can have self-efficacy for management of as and that's something that we've seen in the research that when people start practicing yoga they gain self-efficacy for a variety of different things and this is partly why yoga may be responsible for a cascade of behavioral changes so people start practicing yoga and it's like you know like a, a gateway behavior in a positive way you start practicing yoga and then you start taking regular walks or making better food choices and part of that might be the mindful awareness that yoga fosters but i think part of it is also the agency that being able to practice yoga realizing oh i can do this thing that i didn't think i could do what else is possible um and so it seems like something clicked for you with your self-efficacy and then also you know your dharma landed in your lap so that's so the rest is history 
and tell us a little bit about Yoga for AS, the organization that you and Jeff, I mean, you're now collaborators, um, that, and I think he still is a bit of a mentor to you, and um, you, you have a really beautiful personal and working relationship. So tell us a little bit about Yoga for AS is, what it does, what you're working on right now. And I'll try not to lay out a really long context, but I think it's important to to, to kind of get to where. Yeah, we are. sure. So initially, when I went away and practiced, there was a lot of it started with physical, which it does for most people. Started with movement, with stretching, with different types of of movement, and then I started delving into other non-physical practices. Um, quite interestingly, I would lie down at the end of every session and try to think of things that I loved about AS and why I loved having the condition, which at first was so, I didn't, I just, Jimmy, came, how did that occur to you to do that? I don't know. I have no idea. I have no idea. I just laid there and it, it, I started during the summer. So I lay there and I go, oh, I love AS because it's, it's going to make me a stronger person. I love AS. Yeah. But, you know, go wait, really wait, wait. But I, I want you to not just say, and you went out like, so the bull minority that get to a point where not only are they accepting of the disease, but they actually find things to be grateful about. So can you just, before you continue the story, could you just give us a list of examples of things that you might say to yourself for people who are thinking, how, why would anyone be grateful for a disease like this? Yeah. And this is the thing like someone might hear that and be like that's ridiculous and that's almost insulting and arguably I've, I felt the same going into it but the reality is affirmations or things along those lines don't really have much power if, if they're not true so to a degree. yeah you right have to the truth you have to believe what you're saying or at least okay. think it's it's possible to get there right like I could but believe this I wasn't saying I am and you know a, a super hero person with as and as is it disappears i didn't say anything like that what right, i would right. say things along the lines of i'm grateful for as because it's helping me really look more deeply at myself it's mm. helping understand my body more it's brought me to yoga which i find has really helped with my emotion emotional and mental yeah. health it's helped me with my attitude towards life and my how how important it is how important health is and how important family is so things not related to the condition stuff yeah creating that energetic frequency within the body that that says ah you're feeling good and creating that and and jamie that's kind of counter to the mentality of you know fighting the disease which there's a lot of like with cancer, you know, for conditions like this, there is a lot of language and imagery around that's sort of like, I am in a battle with this disease and I am strong and I'm going to win. So, um, and that's helpful for some people, but I know you have some thoughts about it. Sure. And we will get onto yoga for AS, I promise, but just to yeah. just set really what developed. I was an AS warrior. And if you go on the internet and type in AS warrior or ankylosing spondylitis warrior, there's millions of people out there that also identify as AS warriors. And I was on the front line with everyone else. I was fighting this battle against a known enemy 
but it's myself. So like, wait, hold on. So it took me a while and it was through working with a mind body yoga specialist who, you know, is an amazing guy. His name is Peter Winslow. And he, he explained to me, like, if being on the front line worked, then he'd be right there with me. But when you're fighting against yourself, it's you're you're up against a losing battle because there's nothing to fight there's nothing to fix it's actually i've kind kind of come to realize that as or any inflammatory autoimmune disease is like a very overprotective parent or guardian Mm. who is trying to do it's a great analogy he's trying to do his absolute best to to protect that 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 individual and will be protect it so much that it's going to send loads of overreactive right trying to try and um, deal with things but actually it's just confused with good intent (laughs) right it's trying its best but it's 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 completely overwhelmed it's in overdrive and part of the realization for me was okay well if i look at from that perspective what ways can i calm yeah would you battle that loving parent or is there a better way yeah and you know you can but it usually doesn't well So that that was the kind of the mind body moment yeah. I realized this is more than just stretching, right? Okay, so the the non-physical practices of yoga took on more of an importance as you continued to practice, yeah. And, and that's kind of set the grounds for now when we work with people, we're we're always incorporating non-physical practices into our teachings, yoga nidra, meditation, breath work, and applied philosophy within yeah which is so aligned with what we do is there is there a single practice in your experience not just personally but in all the people you've worked with is there one that stands out as being really relevant or helpful if you had to choose one from the non-physical perspective yeah nidra yeah yoga nidra okay um for anyone who doesn't know what yoga nidra is you want to briefly explain and maybe how you do it sure you find yeah absolutely so would be viewed as similar to meditation but the difference is it's a practice or you could have it under the bracket of meditation arguably but it's a practice that progressively trains the body into a very relaxed state where at a kind of physiological level we're moving deeply into that parasympathetic that rest and digest state and it usually involves listening to someone talking you through a guided relaxation. Now, this is a practice that's thousands and thousands of years old and has been used and adopted through many traditions. And if you, someone like a hypnotherapist utilizes arguably yoga nidra to get people to the point where they're between being awake and asleep, where they're far more able to let go of the kind of conscious level that's trying to trying to always be working and thinking and solving so this practice you can do for 10 minutes 20 minutes 30 minutes and quite often i will like to practice it with my legs up on a chair or a settee or a sofa Mm -hmm. and when i first tried it i remember someone explaining to me oh this is the yogi say this 30 minutes of yoga nidra is equivalent to four (laughs) Right. Like, we, yeah. we have no scientific evidence of that but traditional knowledge and yeah. i was like this is uh this sounds ridiculous it's not gonna <laughs> how is it gonna be like anything and i came out from it feeling like i'd slept 
for for a while and felt very refreshed and was like whoa this is interesting and since then I use it every day um Mm. regardless of symptoms I will usually do it some point in the afternoon instead of a an afternoon nap it, for me it's like an afternoon nap on on steroids um, yeah and to be clear when I say that we don't have scientific evidence of it we don't have scientific evidence that it is the equivalent of a certain duration of sleep but there actually is scientific evidence of the many benefits of yoga nidra practice, there isn't as much research on yoga nidra specifically as there is for yoga in general, which which tends to be more of the physical postures with some breathing and some meditation. But there are studies of just yoga nidra, and it can be for some people a more accessible practice than a formal meditation because it's more passive. You are lying in a comfortable position because you take time to find a position that's comfortable for the body or as comfortable as possible for someone who's living with chronic pain. And then you are absorbing the guidance of your um, whoever is facilitating it. And there are lots of recordings that you can use and there are a variety of different approaches to yoga nidra that have different parts and pieces or a different order to them, um, but they're all aiming to accomplish essentially the same thing. So it's really interesting to hear that, Jamie. I had no idea that you were practicing yoga nidra daily. And and as he said, it can be a half an hour or longer, but it could also be shorter um, for those who don't feel like they can take the time to do this every day for that long of a period of time. Okay, Absolutely. now let's get to yoga for AS because we kind of got a little sidetracked there. Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> all of this kind of set the groundworks and, and me and Jeff would go back and forth having conversations. I went off to university and we stayed in contact, but kind of at a very normal level. We weren't, we weren't speaking often, you know, every, every we check in with each other. Um, and when Jeff first went to a two week residential course in the UK, which is for people who are diagnosed with AS, it's like a rehabilitation type course. He wrote down in a piece of paper, yoga for AS book. Um, so that, that was the start oh, of his, wow. yeah, his okay. idea. This was like a, a long, quite about a decade. That before. was after you had already had the idea that this was what you were gonna do. This is before. Oh, it's before, okay. He wrote this about 10 years before. Oh, okay, got it. So then we started, kind of just having conversations about, oh, you know, it'd be really good to, to see if this would help other people. So this was about a few years before the lockdown. It's funny how we use that as a kind of timeline, but a few years before the lockdown, and I, I'll use that reference because it, it kind of helped, it's probably part, a big part of why it was the right time for us to do what we did. But we started doing initially one-to-ones. And the thing is, at that point, we had... A fair bit of knowledge of what wait, Jamie. By this point, you were already a yoga teacher. You had gone through yoga teacher training. Yeah, I've done a a yoga teacher training, and which wasn't that helpful, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, most of it teacher. wasn't a therapeutically oriented yoga teacher training. Not not particularly, no. And um, but w- what we ended up doing was there's a huge power of of lived experience, and me and Jeff 
applied that lived experience to people and and we didn't say this is what works for me you should do this it's we we've we've found some if you look at you know took if you took yoga as not that this is it's almost opposite but if you took yoga a, a personal yoga practice between two people and, and looked at the data of what what helps for those two people oh yeah the overlap between you can start what they find see, helpful yeah start to see there's commonalities now obviously the more personalized the better but we started working with with people and it was always about okay well what's what they what are they dealing with let's personalize it as much as possible right. give, give them a routine and they but also jamie so you and jeff both have your own lived experience but the more people you work with the more data you're adding to so that. It started with just a few people right right um and they would come back and say they're back to doing a sport they weren't able to do or mm. they're on medication and they've got better quality of life and we're like okay this definitely is something that we should yeah. explore so we then put out some youtube videos which is funny looking back at them because they're they're so yeah We've come a long way from the way we teach. And you know? Jamie is all over the place on social media with all kinds of helpful little tips and tricks and recommendations. So we'll be sure to share those ways to find you. And uh, thank you. And then we started doing, just at the point of lockdown, we started doing online Zoom classes. And it was great because people with AS would come together from England, from America, from Canada, Iceland, India, all come and practice. And it was this amazing thing. And again, more data, we get, we start to see, okay, things are helping. And we start to see what's gonna be, what's more helpful and what is less helpful. And of course that is with our own lived experience that combined. So this kind of kept developing and we started seeing that no one was getting injured and no one was coming back and saying, that this caused a major flare up or it was inaccessible and they felt left out, which are all the things that tend to happen for people with. And all of the reasons that healthcare providers tend not to recommend yoga. <laughs> exactly. Um, and it was, it was brilliant. It gave us kind of real guidance to what to do next. And then we asked people, we did a survey to our community. We had a Facebook group. And Jamie, these were gentle practices like, you know, there's not all yoga is safe. And so the fact that you were seeing that this was safe and people weren't being harmed is partly because you were making wise choices about the practices that you offered. Correct. And I, we can talk to this a little later as well. But that being said, there's very much the case that if someone still has a lot of movement, we're still helping them to maintain or improve. Right. You're meeting them where they are. Exactly. And you're not where, being overly cautious, but you're also not pushing them to the point that they're likely to be unsafe. So it is that balance because there's a spectrum. Some people are running right. ultra running ultra marathons with this condition. Some people wow. being sedentary for 50 years and can't move very much. And you're well. finding people come to you across that whole spectrum. We've had people who are across that whole spectrum, yeah. which is, again more data. Right. And what we then asked people we did a, a survey and people said they wanted courses online courses that they could do at any time so we spent about two years developing the virtual library mm -hmm. which is an online course of yoga from our foundations course which is all from a chair very 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 gentle and that's designed for the person people we've worked with that i explained earlier who have 
been sedentary for a very very long time right. usually fully fused mm-hmm. there's a course for them. and then there's course eight which is for people who are still extremely the ultra marathoner you could argue there's a hierarchical component to that, but the idea isn't for people to progress. The idea is for people to pick depending on how they're feeling, depending on what they need. That day. So, some- so you may be, you know, doing a six practice one day and then the next week you're in a flare or whatever and you're picking a different number. Yeah, I love that. Great. We do a whole bunch of non-physical courses, breath work, mm-hmm. yoga meditation all kind of focused on the the physical practices do they also have non-physical components to them yeah okay yeah they're all bringing in that together but for the most part we've also kind of tried to have a whole series of the non-physical so you have like comprehensive yoga practices that have a variety of different components to them like incorporating breath work and mindfulness etc and then you also have practices that are strictly non-physical for when people are looking for that specifically. There's usually where we we'll point people to if they're like, they're in a really big flare and mm-hmm. they're really worried about doing any movement, well, well, try this practice. Yeah. And then in addition, we tried, we, we're still adding more to these, but we, we did three courses for the neck which is one of the most common symptoms is, is pain and stiffness, inflammation. In the you neck. said it starts, it tends to start at the base of the spine. The other one is the okay. other course, sacroiliac joints as well. So we've Great. got those, we're, we're, we're working to develop more. Another common symptom is, is things like costochondritis, which is inflammation in the sternum. And that's mm-hmm. yeah, something that a lot of people struggle with. Rib cage pain. So there's, there's so much. And- how long are the practices? So how we've broken it down is we have tutorials that go down through each pose in so much detail to the point where it's mm-hmm. like, once you've watched that video, you know, like you, you're you don't need up. to watch it again. You know how to do. Once you've learned that, yeah. you follow alongs, which are very minimally cued. So it's very, okay. very much. Let's just press play and, and move because you've mm-hmm. learned you're confident so if somebody is going to do the follow along how do they know which tutorials they need so the, you, the point is the tutorials are in the one course so let's say course two okay in order of mm-hmm. what the follow along will be so you go through oh you go through the the yeah. tutorials for that specific course. class okay and great and you can skip over the tutorials for the practices you already yes and then okay. once you've yeah. that, you follow along which is it's still cued like it's yeah. not like there's no language but it's very much just about getting people safely into the pose and for each tutorial does it offer different options five or six sometimes Great. more so it's it's like it gives people even within the spectrum there's a spectrum mm-hmm. within the spectrum so it's really- and and Jamie when we're when we're talking about this and casually saying that's more data we were talking about anecdotal evidence, like you're learning about this population and how to apply yoga. As you go, you are sort of, you know, absorbing that information, making adjustments, refining the way that you teach, but also this is actual data um, in a research sense now, correct? You're part of a research collaboration? We are working with Loughborough University. We aren't yet starting research. Okay. But 
to collaborate in the future. We've gone through a few different rounds where we've nearly started the research, but okay, we're going to get there at some point. We're going to actually do some some clinical style of research. Um, and so for for people who are living with AS who are interested in connecting with you and find you know getting access to these materials, we'll provide that. How about for yoga teachers, yoga therapists? So there is not yet a training for how to work with people who have AS. Would you suggest that looking at some of this material might be a way to help them learn more about the condition? And I'm thinking especially many of the people who watch and listen here at the yoga room are yoga teachers and yoga therapists who may already be familiar with other forms of arthritis and rheumatic conditions, but may not feel as knowledgeable or skilled in working with people who have AS. So what would you recommend? So there's a few, few different options. One is we've had people work with us one-to-one -one who are yoga teachers or yoga therapists who want to learn more information. We had someone recently, it was great, from Hong Kong who had two students with AS and we did a whole session together and she was able to kind of go away feeling like, yeah, I can, mm. I can. For those okay. Students. And that, that, that's one thing. Um, the other thing is, yeah, definitely check out our resources. Mm -hmm. the, the most, and we've got, obviously our, we've got a whole page of free resources on our website with so many different videos. Um, so that there's that, but then also when you, when you work with someone with AS, it's going to be different person to person. So the, right. the thing you need is, is not like, this is the, the key. It's like, yeah. you need a master key that's going to work. Right. And that's, if you're a yoga therapist, you have the skills and tools to be able to conduct a comprehensive assessment for any client, because also someone who's living with AS, not only is the AS their AS and specific to them, but no one is just their AS. And so it's a whole person. And this is why, you know, yoga therapy is a, its own profession because yoga therapists get those skills and tools to be able to appropriately deliver practices specific to any person through a yoga lens, not through a biomedical lens. For yoga teachers who are trained only in how to teach a yoga class and may need to pick up continuing education along the way so that it's appropriate. It seems like a one-on-one -on -one with you, your team and the library, you know, just looking at things. And also if you have a student or a client with AS, in addition to the work you as the yoga therapist or yoga teacher are doing, you can refer them to the Yoga for AS library for home practice so that they can continue Jamie, what would you recommend for how often someone with AS practices yoga? So in terms of inflammatory arthritis, from my experience, AS is one where movement isn't only important. It's like, it's essential. Yes. Yeah. And big organizations now will be making big statements it's like medication and exercise are as important as one another for this condition mm -hmm. and that's a statement it's huge yeah it's great because of course going back to what we said earlier this isn't an alternative this is about integrative working right. with, with physios but 
you know, any good rheumatologist, physio will tell you with AS, you need to move and move very regularly. How much to practice depends on if someone's in an active flare, if there's active inflammation going on, mm-hmm. that's going to have a part to play because it might mean that it needs to start really gently, very slowly, and maybe a few sessions in a week. Right. A lot of people develop a daily practice, but there's a, there's, there's a few kind of things that over the years I've, I found out for myself was I very much was thinking about asanas as the only way to build flexibility for mm-hmm. AS. That's where I started. It got me to the point where I was really inflexible to like average movement, but okay. I, could, I wasn't able to go further. You weren't okay. palming the floor. <laughs> I wasn't making bigger progress. I wanted to for my own personal reasons. So I started looking outside of yoga. I started looking into martial arts, into gymnastics, into strength mm-hmm. and conditioning into other forms of flexibility training and practiced it through a lens of yoga, which is not yourself, not pushing through pain, not really deeply understanding flexibility training as a, as a whole other thing, because a lot of yoga teachers, myself, I wasn't trained to really understand how to make progress in flexibility training for people who are quite inflexible, because there is definitely a case of a lot of people who will come to yoga, and this is why the images of yoga is always people who are flexible, have a background in flexibility. But if right. you need flexibility, and that's some, because again, yoga, of course, as we've brought about in this discussion, isn't about purely movement and flexibility, but it's a big part of it for people who have AS. They want to maintain. They want to increase their range of motion. Or maintain yeah. it. Right. So I started really diving deep into all the different practices that can help and apply them through that lens. So you were applying yoga philosophy to other forms of flexibility training. Yeah. And that's where I started to see bigger progress. Bigger gains. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and when you say that people who come to yoga often have a background in flexibility. So one, yoga tends to attract people who are already mobile because they excel and i'm using air quotes for those who are listening uh, they're not in, as intimidated by the images that we have in our mind of what yoga is because they can touch their toes or you know whatever it may be and that could be because they actually have a hypermobility syndrome loose connective tissue and what they really need is to stabilize but it also could be because they have a background in flexibility training right a lot of people who are dancers or gymnasts who have done flexibility work are drawn to yoga because it's a fit for their physical capabilities for as there tends to be a lot of stiffness, but you can have stiffness in some parts of the body and hypermobility in other parts of the body, especially because we tend to compensate. So we find the movement wherever we can get it. So it's a balance between maintaining your strength and also improving your flexibility. So I know, Jamie, that strength is also important to your training, yoga, and otherwise. And so when we're talking about the role of flexibility, the importance of, of flexibility for AS, it is alongside also maintaining strength and physical function from a stability perspective. Exactly. And the thing is, people see flexibility and strength as separate, but they're on the same spectrum. If I do a bicep curl, 
strength when I'm contracting at the top on, on that eccentric right at the very bottom when I'm that's a loaded stretch right and that's stretching things out so within the context of strength training this is why I became a PT and went more into strength training as well is they're, they're not separate it just depends on how we train and we right. have to train for strength and we don't just have to train for flexibility right they together and even within the context of someone might be able to lift their leg onto a chair and, and go into a hamstring stretch but can that person lift their leg up and, and hold it without right can they get it onto the chair with, yeah. the... with the, their hip flexors right that kind of is, is a really important component because we want to be working towards being as strong as we are flexible now that's a big statement but that that's the ideal because right that's just so important. And you mentioned hypermobility. I would say about 20% of people I work with have both AS mm, and hypermobility. Yeah. Which makes it especially difficult to try to balance that. And I will always say to them, like, you know, maintain the movement you have, but how strong can you get in that movement? How strong can you get in, in those positions? Instead of reaching, can you, can you draw back and work to get, get stronger in those ranges? And Jamie, what is your mental emotional training at this point for people with as or myself yeah either way or both so for myself what this condition has opened me up to is very it's, it's hard to explain the feeling but it's it's almost like a feeling of catharsis when you, you almost have this this deep appreciation for for life and not mm -hmm. wanting to take it for granted doesn't mean that days are always easy and life is, is always right. plain it's that perspective of like, we, we have this life and it, we do have a choice and agency to, to how we deal with the situations and how we view them. For me, it, it's been a real process from going to this very much fighting to trying to kind of do everything I can to, to fight and, and kind of so, so drawn in to actually understanding the role of my whole life and my whole person to the condition. So when I'm working with someone, it's not about the pain that they're experiencing in the neck. It's that person who's experiencing the pain and, and what, what is that person experiencing? Mm -hmm. So that's where we won't straight away. And for years, we might, it might not come up in a conversation, but it, it's slowly ingrained into what we do. So we're not saying, saying to people at the end of class, now I want you to think of something you're grateful for, for this condition straight away. Right, right. right. You're not going to jump into that. But what we might say is we do we do a Tuesday class that's all about restorative practices. We'll do I'll go into a bit of the science of well, what would it mean to calm down the nervous system and what influence does that have on our immune system? That's also and then getting people to understand, OK, my the way I control my physiology impacts my immune system. Right. And that starts to get people curious. And then from there, you may start to think about what would it mean to not push as hard in this position or what would it mean to mm -hmm. not fight your way through this stretch what would it mean to back away and give yourself time and ease your way into it and all of that language and semantics comes into practice and that's all the applied philosophy but without saying i'm not saying the yamas and the yamas to people right it's about living it and expressing it through your practice and ahimsa is like our kind of overall thing the absence of injury and the non-violence non-harming non-violence right but we're not saying 
every second of the day, right? We're going to do an, a HIMSA. We're going to go into this position. And I want you to think about HIMSA. No, we'll say, I want you, we, we relate it to that person. And if right. someone's us, they might have had a recent flare up. So we'll say, okay, you know, think about the fact that you've had a recent flare and ask yourself, what would it mean to be a bit more gentle? So you're not telling people, you're helping them to give, ask questions. And that, that for me is that the biggest way to have applied philosophy within mm-hmm. a yoga practice is, is helping individuals ask themselves questions whilst they're practicing. Right. Which also supports their agency and autonomy in their own process of discovery. I'm not telling people what they should be thinking or feeling or doing. It's, it's asking themselves questions to get curious about Oh, what, what would it mean for me to, to not fight through this position? I mean, they might start with, I might, I might relax my, my shoulders a little. I might stop clenching into my face. And then they might start thinking, why am I feeling so angry here? And then they start to think about their own emotional state. And it goes into them being able to really build that interoception physically, that, that awareness of their body, but also being able to understand their emotions. And that that is a process that takes years for some people it happens quite quickly but for for most people it can take a lifetime and it's a process it's not it's not something you end at at all so jamie in your process of growth and discovery what are you working on now and i don't mean you know in your work as as i mean as an individual human outer work or inner work hmm. uh Do both or yeah one. yeah <laughs> both <laughs> outer work is I've become become completely, I've got a slight, you may have noticed a slight character trait of obsessing about things to the point where I go really all in on things and Mm -hmm. I want to know everything there is about that thing. And for the last few years, it's been understanding that there are a lot of people who come to yoga who want to get flexible and who go to yoga for years and actually sometimes makes it worse or actually they end up having injuries or they don't make any progress and they're like I made no progress and I've really started to go quite deeply on the fact that asanas do play a purpose Mm -hmm. but it's it's actually looking at why and how some people don't get much change in Mm -hmm. those moments over time with their flexibility. So I've started to go really deep in and applying this to to the students I'm working with is how can we bring in other forms of flexibility training, but teach it for a yogic lens? Because I think there's a huge potential there, which hasn't been explored enough within these yoga circles. Because you go, someone will go into a gymnastics class and they'll go for a bunch of different exercises but they're more, it's way higher risk, not because the exercises are actually that risky, it's the intent. And that's why you'll get mm. a gymnastic pushing someone into a straddle. Right, well. right. So you could do gymnastics with yogic intent yeah. and it would be far less risky because right. you would be making different choices. Making different choices. And this is something I've become really obsessed with because Mm. i think it holds a big potential for those who haven't made progress in their flexibility especially in the context of something like as where it's even more challenging and how can we how can we like look at martial arts and strength conditioning gymnastics Mm. who have a lot to offer but provide that that layer of safety that layer of 
So that's something which would be hard to do if you go into that environment or learn from a teacher who had an orientation or you know a different yes those those practices have a different culture to them right and so yeah that's an interesting challenge i mean even within yoga yoga is sometimes taught that way uh, where you're trying to go as far as you can as hard as you can you know and even teachers pushing people into i have a lot to say about that but but it can be intimidating for the individual practitioner especially someone who is not experienced with yoga and who has a chronic condition to advocate for themselves and take care of themselves in an environment where they're being told otherwise. It is, is very challenging. So I think it all brings home to the fact that, you know, for me, it's the more whole person and holistic approach there is to any form of practice. And for me, from my own experience, yoga provided me so much from the non-physical, but there was limitations with, with some of the physical because I found that I wasn't making progress I wanted to but yoga allowed me to have a lens to take mm -hmm. other training and and bring it into my own practice and now share it with others There's what about the that, inner work Jamie that's the outer work. Uh, <laughs> yeah. is understanding the importance of trying to people say oh you know it's important to slow down but that doesn't actually end up really meaning much because it never really happens when people say I need to slow down I need to do less I need to you know so for me it's it's trying to really ensure that I build lots of parasympathetic type practices into mm -hmm. my life but also my way of being and that doesn't mean always being relaxed it means being knowing when to be on mm -hmm. and knowing because mm. there's been this blur that I think has really increased over the lockdowns and through the, throughout the pandemic and coming out of the pandemic, where it's a case of you're working hard, but then you're also never really not working. And when you're resting, you're not working. And even when you're working hard, you're not working as hard as you could do because you're burnt out from not resting properly. <laughs> <laughs> big thing I'm working on is being able to say, right, this is the time you're going to work. This is the time mm -hmm. you're going to spend on something. You're going to work yeah. really hard and then you're going to rest properly. Are you yeah. not going to like- It's very off? Ecclesiastes, Jamie. Yeah. A time exactly. for work. And, <laughs> and you know, arguably work and what is work, what is rest? Well, for right. me, it's just having the ability to be all in on something and then all in on something else instead yeah. of between. So yeah, it doesn't yeah. mean that I'm like doing all of these relaxing things. It's it might be I've I've spent a day doing work. I'm gonna go for a, a long walk with some friends. I'm gonna go out and socialize. I'm gonna do something that's completely immersed out of that context because right. that's that's really important for I think our souls. And then mm -hmm. I guess the, the final thing for me in terms of inner work, which relates back to arthritis, is really being aware of fear. And mm -hmm. what role fear has in our lives and understanding where fear is dysfunctional and when it's functional because mm. disappear we learn to see fear for what it is and then we experience less fear it doesn't change fear but that's something that i think in the context of as there's always that in the back of the mind of the fear of the condition progressing of it getting worse and and what that would mean and yeah that's always 
And the heaviness of that condition is interesting because if, if AS was something that was an injury and people experienced the same symptoms, exactly the same, but they were told in six months, this is going to rehab this, there wouldn't be half the amount of emotional burden. It's so interesting because as you say that, Jamie, I'm thinking about the parallel of pain, that pain can be functional or dysfunctional. It can be useful or not useful. And there is a relationship between pain and fear. And that can be a dysfunctional cycle where pain makes us afraid and the fear exacerbates the pain through the functioning of the nervous system. Um, and it, it relates to the Panchamaya model in that what's happening in the physical affects the mental, emotional, and vice versa. So the we can do that work simultaneously. We can pay attention to what am I experiencing in my physical body? What, what do I do with that information that I'm getting? What am I experiencing in my mental, emotional body? And what do I do with that information? Yeah, it's powerful. There's, there's so much interconnectedness between all of those things. And I think that's why doing some of the inner work or beginning to explore that is definitely a really important piece of the puzzle. At least it was for me in the context yeah. of having better tools and a better foundation to work off because my foundation was so dysfunctional. It was like throwing gasoline onto a fire and or you know trying to put out an electrical fire with water you know yeah that, that really for me is such an important thing to work to establish a, a foundation in which there's a high level of awareness understanding from the perspective of okay well what is an autoimmune disease as i mentioned earlier it's this dysfunctional overbearing parent or guardian that's trying to do its best to protect themselves okay well, does that have a parallel to life? Many times in our lives, regardless of if we have autoimmune diseases, there's times in which we have to overreact and overprotect ourselves, and in the moment be functional, but actually long-term lead to something dysfunctional. Right. And that plays out from a very young age. And you know, we understand the relationship between early childhood adverse experiences and, and the rise of autoimmune diseases it's all very much connected. So it's not to say that it's all to do with that, but it's a big component. Uh, yeah, and, and that is a, a good point for me to mention, Jamie, and then um, we'll have an opportunity for final thoughts that you and I recorded a conversation previously um, that talks a little bit more about your own early childhood experience and how um, that may have shaped what happened with your condition. Um, you know, there there is definitely a relationship between adverse childhood experiences and autoimmune conditions. It doesn't mean everybody with an autoimmune condition has ch early childhood trauma, nor that everyone with early childhood trauma develops an autoimmune disease. But we do know scientifically that there's a relationship, and I think. There is a way to explore that that can be therapeutic and helpful. There's also a way to get caught up in a cycle of shame and blame that is not helpful to moving forward in a positive way. And it, yeah, it, it's something to be very mindful of and not go in 
thinking it's going to be like an easy journey. In fact, for some people, it might not be the right time to explore that. And it needs to be done in a way that's very safe and accessible. Right. Um, When we're talking about ahimsa and safety, we're not just talking about protecting the physical body and asana, but also taking care of ourselves and staying safe psychologically. So, Jamie, is there anything that you would like to share as a takeaway? Um, If there's one thing that people walk away from listening to you with, what would that be? I think it's understanding that pain, inflammation, stiffness, fatigue are all things that are analogous to life. They're experiences that sometimes we don't have control over, but being able to look and take a step back and think about all the agency we do have while simultaneously working to accept what and how we're feeling and feel what's going on, that's going to put us in the position to actually make real progress. So when someone's diagnosed with something like AS, the first reaction is to fix things and to try to do everything they can and should and should all over themselves to see all the things they can try to throw out, throw out this thing, which is what I did. But actually, in hindsight, what is more helpful is understanding these symptoms, what they are, understanding what currently there is no control over, but then understanding what can be controlled, but not through a place of fear and aggression, but through a place of of love and respect for yourself and not just your physical self, but your whole self. So I think that's that's really important in the process of of managing a long-term health condition. So, yeah. Thank you so much, Jamie. Thank you for the work that you're doing in the world. We will certainly share the link to Yoga for AS so that people can find you. Thank you for taking the time to speak with me. And um, I wish you the very best in all ways. Um, personally and professionally as you move forward. Thank you. And I'd like to add, you mentioned at the beginning that I'm level three yoga for arthritis instructor. I've also learned a lot from this very wonderful lady. And I do think there's just an amazing parallel between the work that I started doing. And then when coming across the work that you've been doing for years, it really helped us to feel like we were on the right track and be able to help me pave my own path as well so very grateful for for you and everyone else at yoga for arthritis and yeah so i can also if you if anyone wants to learn more just go to yogaforas.com you can navigate everything from there we have so many free resources we have a whole page of blogs all related to as we have a whole page of free resources, uh, videos, tutorials, interviews, other types of blogs. And then we also have people can try any of our services for free as well. Our live classes, people can try for free. You can try the virtual library for 14 days as well. So there's, we've kind of worked very hard to, to, although we're trying to work to really maintain ourselves as a sustainable business that can do good work for the long term, we've worked very hard to provide a bunch of accessible opportunities for people to to get started with. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jamie. Thanks, Stephanie.
Thank you so much for joining us in the yoga room. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider liking, following, and leaving a review. You can find more information and resources on our website at arthritis.yoga and on our social media channels. Join our newsletter to learn about our latest offerings and please share with anyone who might benefit. Until our next episode, we wish you peace and well-being. May your light shine so bright that all the world is better for your being in it.